Before, uh, before we get into the message for this morning, I just wanted to say um, it's good to be back. We had a, a good time in, uh, on our trip. We were down in Tennessee um, visiting with some family, and that was refreshing. It was extremely hot, um, extremely humid, but we, we survived. Thankfully, there was a pool available um, in most of the places we stayed, so uh, we stayed cool. Um, and in our, uh, in our um, in, in the conference that I was in, the leadership conference, there was some really good discussion. I got to um, I got to mingle with some some colleagues, some pastoral colleagues, um, and so that was really good. Um, and I just want you to know that uh, just this. So there was I think twelve other people besides me, um, pa- pastors, a lot of pastors from the west side of the state. Um, but there were also uh, leaders of organizations, like there was a couple school leaders, heads of school from schools in California, and some nonprofits, that kind of stuff. Um, but every, every single organization that was represented is going through a challenging time. So I just want you to know that this is a, this is a hard time um, for, for the church, for um, Christian organizations, and I think for a lot of organizations, um, even outside of that. It's just, a, it's just a struggle um, with some of the things that we are encountering in the world today. Um, so just make sure that you are holding up not just our church in prayer, but um, uh, God's, the, the leaders, the churches, the, the organizations that God has put in this world to bring about his redemption. Um, yeah, so just please keep that uh, at the front of your minds. All right, so we are continuing in our... Uh, our sermon series on faith practices. So these are the, the, some habits, the disciplines that, that keep us uh, listening to God, that keep us connected to the vine, that keep us rooted to Christ. Um, and at the beginning of this sermon series, we made available this book, uh, Faith Practices. Um, so I think all of the practices that we've gone through and all that we will go through are in this book, and they just um, give little practical ways that you can live into this um, and offer additional resources. Um, so the book really is useful when you use it, um, not just read it, but actually practice it. Um, so if you're looking for practical ways to, to live out some of these disciplines, um, I encourage you to pick back up this book. Um, and if you weren't here when we handed them out, there's a couple uh, just outside the sanctuary. I think there's a, a few books left, so I encourage you to to grab one of those and uh, try a discipline. Try a discipline on and see what works for you. All right, so today we are looking at the faith practice of celebrating, and we are uh, using Luke's gospel to do that, Luke chapter 15. Um, and before we do that, let's, let's go to God in prayer and ask for his blessing on this time. Lord, we are thankful. Thankful for your word. Thankful that you communicate to us in ways that we can understand. Lord, your word um, is alive, it's active, it, it encourages us, it convicts us, it challenges us. Lord, we pray that for us now in this time, uh, that you would give us humility to be able to come under your word, to, to be open to what you want to speak to us. Lord, we pray that the, the thing that shines most is your grace and your love for your people. God, but in that we pray that you would convict our hearts of where we need you, where we need to turn ourselves to you and allow you to turn us to you. God, we thank you again for this time that we can do this together. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Luke 15, 11 through 32, the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus continued, so this is Jesus speaking. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. 
So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there is a famous painting of this parable. Maybe you'll recognize it when it's up on the screen. Yeah, there you go. Does anybody recognize this? This is a Rembrandt's painting. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. It was, it was painted in the 1600s, um, and he is, uh, he is portraying what he sees as part of, uh, part of this parable. And what we notice about this painting, this painting is going to be up uh, for the duration of the sermon, so I just I want to call uh, attention to it and uh, allow you just to, to look at it as we, as we process this passage. But what you'll notice, I think what most people are drawn to, and if you've seen this, this painting before, um, is that uh, it, it is conveying a scene of grace. And most often we are drawn to uh, the father who is, who is stooped down, who's bent over uh, his son who has returned. You see him uh, embracing the son with these strong and yet uh, tender hands. The son who has returned home to him in rags. He is essentially wearing undergarments, undergarments with holes in them. This, this means there's no dignity uh, to what he's wearing, no dignity to his life right now. You'll notice that the son has a, a shaved head. I think Rembrandt is trying to express that, that he lost his status or his identity. Remember, he's working as a slave uh, in a Gentile land. 
you'll notice that uh, his, his shoes, his shoes, one of them has completely come off and the other uh, is, um, has holes in it. It's revealing a scarred, rough feet from uh, these long, this long distance, this long journey that's been traveled. All of this, all of these things have been brought upon the Son by himself, by his own actions. And yet this Father, this Father welcomes him. You can see uh, the, the passion, the compassion on his face as he openly embraces uh, the Son of his who was lost and who has now returned. Amazing grace. That we don't, uh, what we often miss in this painting, though, is the other prominent figure. There's a, a main observer. And this main observer, he looks a lot like the father. Rembrandt has, has given them uh, some similarity. So you notice that they, they both have uh, full beards. Uh, they both have these uh, red cloaks that are on their bodies. They both have uh, faces that are lit. This is, a, this is a pretty dark painting. I think we lightened it a little bit so you could see it. Uh, but this is a, a, a pretty dark painting, but you can see that just as uh, the father's face is lit up, so uh, this other man's face is lit up. But for all the similarities, you'll notice that there are some pretty stark differences now. There's a, there's a separation between them. There is a, a darkness, there's a, there's a divide. So while there's this picture of grace on the left side of this painting, on the right side of this painting, there is a, a huge chasm that exists between it. And you'll see that while the father is stooped down, uh, bending to his, to his young son, uh, this man is standing straight up, stiff as a board. You'll notice that where the, the father's hands are open, they're well lit, they're, uh, they're tenderly embracing the son. Well, this man's hands are clasped, they're dark, and they're kept close to his body. Now, this, this main observer, uh, his face, it's lit up, but the lighting does not flow down to the rest of his red cloak as it does on the father. You see the father's red cloak is glowing a little bit more. In fact, the man's face, this main observer's face, um, there's, a, there's a cold look, there's a detached look. It's not a look of, of joy. It's not a look of celebration. Well, now, of course, the representation here from Rembrandt, uh, this is the elder son. This is the oldest son uh, who is standing there not with a look of joy and ready to celebrate uh, this is somebody who is far removed from the celebration. Now, this is somebody who is looking with a cold and detached look, not the look of joy, uh, maybe that we would be expecting. If you want to turn back up the lights on the congregation, that'd be good. Thank you. All right. Well, this younger or this older son, uh, he is upset. He is angry, and we're, we're not talking just a little bit upset. The word used here for angry, it actually means enraged, and it means furious. You can uh, picture, you can imagine him uh, in this parable just yelling at his father when he says, Look, all of these years I have been slaving for you. I have never once disobeyed your command, and now... 
Now you haven't even given me a goat to celebrate, and you now have given the fattened calf in celebration for this son of yours who has returned, this son of yours who has squandered wealth, who has brought shame onto this family. You kill the fattened calf? Well, this son is obviously upset. And we remember, we remember who he is. Remember, he is the son who decided not to leave. The inheritance was split. Uh, the younger son, essentially, he, he asked for his inheritance. He, he, liquidates, um, he liquidates whatever it is. He turns it into cash. This is very inappropriate for him to do culturally. It brings a lot of shame on the family, brings a lot of shame especially on the father. And then he goes off uh, essentially to Vegas for a prolonged stay uh, where he parties and lives a wild life. But there was the older son, the older son who decided not to leave, the older son who stuck around and chose the loyal road, who chose the faithful road. But what happened? In the passing of time, something has happened. And what Jesus is doing in this parable is there is a great reversal that happens. There is a great reversal where uh, we see the younger son, the younger son who left, the prodigal son who left the house, who became a slave. He has now come back. He's come back to his father's warm embrace. He's deemed a son, and he is celebrated. But the older son, the one who stuck around, the one who was living freely in his father's house, well, he has now become the slave. He has become the slave and the one who refuses to return home. Well, on the outside, uh, this older son has been doing everything that you would expect a good son to do. He's been staying by his father's side the whole time. He's been showing loyalty. Uh, He's been showing faithfulness. But on the inside, there has been something that has been stirring. There has been something, uh, an anger, a resentment, a dissatisfaction that is deep-seated, that is just below the surface, that now it comes out. For when the the father, uh, he hears word that the son has returned, the father is celebrating him, instead of joy, what happens is this explosion of anger that comes from the elder son. Something has happened to where uh, this son, this oldest son, has, re- has viewed his relationship with his father, not from a place of father-son, not from a place of warmth and love and grace, but from a place of duty. All of these years, I have been slaving for you. I have never disobeyed any of your commands. It's almost as if he's expecting something in return. Through the years, we don't know how, we don't know what happened, but there's been a detachment where he has wandered away from the grace and the love that is marked and is offered to him by his father. I wonder, I wonder as we look at uh, some of the figures in this parable, as we look at especially these two sons, is there a son that you are gravitating towards as you think about your life and your relationship with God? You think about the, the younger son, the prodigal son. Is this, has this been uh, maybe a piece of your life that you can recognize where you, you have wandered away from home, you have strayed from home and, and done some, uh, some wild living? I don't know if it's as wild as uh, the prodigal son here, but maybe you left uh, the God, um, you left the values by which you were raised, uh, and you went out and you, you lived this life that you knew now wasn't right before God. 
Does that, does that mark or does that represent kind of a part of your life where you're at? And now if you've come to this place where, where you received, you received the warm welcome, the warm embrace of this Father, and you have a very deep and intimate understanding of just how amazing this grace can be, where you come to God with nothing else but all of your mistakes and this huge mess, and he receives you with warm arms, with his warm embrace. Or maybe you identify more with the, the oldest son here in this story. Maybe you've always been dutiful about your, your life, especially your life of faith. Or you've always done what is right. And somewhere along the way, you, you, once had this, you once had this idea of a graceful father, a graceful God, a loving God, a welcoming God. But somewhere along the way, you, you started to wander, you started to drift. And now the, the relationship, it's no longer marked by relationship. Now it's more of a transaction where you've been, uh, you've been doing things for God. You've uh, seen him more as a master and not as a father. And you've been living in a way where you've been working and you expect to receive something in return. And this is something that has caused maybe resentment or maybe anger, maybe dissatisfaction as you've been going about things. And it's, it's so deep under the surface and it only comes about in these certain occasions that maybe where, where grace is offered, where something is, is freely given to somebody who you know does not deserve it and, it and it ticks you off, it sparks something inside of you. And maybe if you were to be really honest, maybe there's the thought that, oh, maybe I haven't received God's grace at all. Maybe I haven't accepted God's grace. Maybe I have viewed him more as a master, and I've been living outside of the love of my heavenly Father, seeing him more as a taskmaster, maybe someone more as a, as a serious God who doesn't want anything to do uh, with my delight. Who is it? Who is it that uh, you are finding? Who is it that you're finding a, a closeness, a similarity to, uh, as you look at this picture, as you think about the story of the prodigal son? Well, the amazing thing, the amazing thing about this passage, though, is that God offers abundant grace to both sons. God goes out to both of his children. And we see it, maybe we, we see it pretty readily with the first son, with the prodigal son. Well, this son who has gone away and he's squandered all that he has, the wealth, his inheritance. But you see it in his father running. This undignified run, uh, older um, men, these honored men were not supposed to be running. It was an un, unbecoming of them for their place in society. But this father is running. This undignified run when he sees his son that has been gone. He, he throws himself around the son's neck. He kisses him. He calls for the fattened calf. Now this is God's grace to this younger son uh, who has done absolutely nothing but run his dad's name through the dirt. This is so undeserved in this culture and in our culture. This is God's grace coming to us and saying, come as you are. Hey, if you're not even going to come as you are, I'm going to come out to you and I am going to love you and I am going to embrace you and I am going to shower you with my grace. We see this. We, we most often, we see this grace that is offered uh, in this picture, in this parable through the younger son. 
What is a little bit easier to miss, though, is the grace that is offered by the father to his older child, to his older son. You see with the older son that he is, he is angry. He is refusing to come back inside. And so what does the father do? The father goes out to him. The father doesn't go out with a whip or with a cane. This older son now is in a, is in a realm of disobedience. He should be welcoming the guests. He should be hospitable. He should not be, um, he's essentially, uh, he's, he's being disobedient before his father and these uh, cultural expectations. But the father doesn't come out and scold him. What does it say? He says he comes out and he pleads with him. He comes out to him when his son refuses to go back in and he pleads with him. This is an ongoing appeal for the son to come in and rejoice. And when the older son uses this language of slavery, saying, I've been your slave. I have done nothing but obey your commands. The father, he picks up on this. And what's he say? He says, my child. He says, my son. He's reminding him that he doesn't have to earn his place, that his status is not dependent on this duty, that this is not a master and slave relationship. This is the relationship between a dad and his son. The father comes out to him and he reminds me, he says, my son, my son, you are my child. Everything that I have is yours. All the cows, the goats, the sheep, They are all yours. They have always been yours. Now come in. Come in and join us. Join, be a part of the family. Come in and celebrate. Rejoice with me. It is time for us to celebrate this amazing thing that is going on in our family now. And this is the invitation that we receive. Come, rejoice with me. Come, and celebrate with me. Now, it's a little bit hard. It's a little bit hard for us to see God as, as somebody who throws big parties when our view of God is somebody who is solemn and somebody who is serious all of the time. But this is a God who throws big parties. But doesn't Jesus say um, that God is preparing a banquet? Isn't the kingdom of heaven talked about as a feast? Now, does this sound like a a solemn and serious God? Uh, This is God who is throwing a big party. This is a God who celebrates. Celebration belongs to the kingdom of God. Now, just two parables before this. So this is the third and three parables in this set in this chapter. One is the lost sheep where where the shepherd goes out looking for one and leaves the 99. The other is the, do you know the other one? coin. That's right. The coin. The woman who loses her coin. And at each one of these, after each one of these, uh, the person says, come and rejoice with me. Come and share in my gladness now. Come and let's celebrate the good things that are going on. It says uh, that even, even when one sinner repents, there is rejoicing in heaven that the angels of God are in celebration over one sinner who repents. 
God is a God of celebration. If God celebrates every time a part of his mission is lived into, every time a part of his mission is fulfilled, then we have to expect that there is celebration going on endlessly in heaven right now, in earth as it is in, on earth as it is in heaven. This is our call to join him. Well, God's mission, what is God's mission? God is saving the lost. God is redeeming those uh, whom he has called. And God is renewing his creation. So every time somebody turns to Christ, every time a step is taken in a broken relationship in order to heal it, now, every time a sinner repents and is welcomed back into the family, welcomed back into the community, every time we make a decision to care for God's good creation, every time a flower blooms in all of its beauty and all of its radiance, every time a milestone, a step is taken in our life of faith, you can believe that there is a celebration going on in heaven. Gideon. Do you know that there was a celebration because of you today? That in heaven, God and God's angels are rejoicing. They are throwing a party over your profession of faith and over your baptism this morning? Hey, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. God is a God of celebration. And if we belong to this most high king, shouldn't our lives be marked by celebration? That's why, uh, that's why celebration is a spiritual discipline. It's an ongoing practice. Because as we engage with this life with eyes wide open, our hearts are yearning to see where God is moving. If we indeed are children of the Most High God, shouldn't we be looking all around us for where God is, is filling out, is living into this mission where he is saving people, where he is renewing the creation? Shouldn't we be people who are constantly celebrating? Well, the end of this passage, it doesn't, it doesn't give us anything. We're left with a, a big question mark. We don't know what happens to the older son. This is Rembrandt's interpretation of it. But we are not told. We don't know if he decides to surrender. We don't know if he decides to surrender his resentment. We don't know if the older son is touched, is moved by the father's grace in his appeal, his constant pleading to come back in. And we don't know if in pride and in stubbornness now that the older son just cannot get beyond his anger. He cannot get beyond uh, this, this way that he has wandered from the father. We don't know what happened. And this is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does a lot of times when he tells stories. He, he leaves it up to the listener. He says, what about you? How are you going to respond? And this is what Jesus does for us. How are we going to respond? Our God is a God of unimaginable grace, amazing grace. Our God is a God of celebration. And now we are called. We are invited to join the party. God is saying, what is your response? What are you going to do? Well, may we as God's people be so captured by his grace. May the Holy Spirit be living so powerfully within us that we cannot help but to celebrate this grace that we see all around us in God's creation. 
especially through the grace that he has offered to us in Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, let's pray. God, we need you to open our eyes to your work that is going on all around us. Help us to notice the small ways